Welcome to this third episode of the second series of Giga Waters, a podcast brought to you by SG Voice and Energy Voice Out Loud in paid partnership with Allstead. These discussions are leading the global energy conversation, examining offshore wind and the role that it's going to play in helping Scotland to its goal of net zero by 2045. The goal for Scotland is not only to help the energy transition, but to unlock billions in investment in Scotland, not just in terms of individual projects, but in terms of innovation, growth and sustainable development. Today, we're focusing on innovation and new technologies such as floating wind and their role in the economic transformation currently taking place, especially as a driver of economic growth, which is important at a national, regional and at a local level. I'm joined by our co-host, Emma Toulson, lead stakeholder advisor at Orsted, and our special guest today is Claire Canning, Programme Manager for the Offshore Wind Growth Partnership, part of the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult. We're going to be looking at the role of innovation in transformation and how this can affect innovation, skills, supply chain and infrastructure in ways that highlight the benefits of the energy and the net zero transition. Because one of the things we need to remember is that the drivers of energy transition are not simply the Paris climate or the sustainable development goals, but also how we look at economic development and what we need to look to in terms of different businesses, the supply chain, R&D, and how this can impact on skills, innovation, and local development. Renewable energy, obviously, is a great way to disconnect energy generation from emissions, and it also brings new economic opportunities, not only to industry, but to different parts of the country. So, Claire, I was hoping you could talk us through sort of what you do and, you know, what this means in regards to developments that are taking place in offshore wind. Yeah, absolutely happy to. Um, So my job as programme manager of the Offshore Wind Growth Partnership is essentially to deliver programmes that will help the offshore wind supply chain in the UK to grow, to become more competitive and help businesses to win work within the sector, both in the domestic market and and, and exports as well. So um, I work for the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult. As you mentioned, I've been there for just coming up for six years now, which has been which has been great. But my job at the moment is really focused on delivering the Growth Partnership, which is a, a long-term business transformation programme to support the growth of, of the UK's offshore wind supply chain. And what does that actually mean? It's a good question. <laughs> so essentially, it's, it is a, it's a programme that was established back in 2019 off the back of the offshore wind sector deal between government and industry where there were various commitments that um, industry had to help invest in UK content um, helping UK businesses to um, increase their chances of, of winning work within the sector. Um, the programme was set up off the back of that sector deal to help achieve some of those commitments so for industry, for the developers um, building projects in UK waters helping them to have that incentive to buy from British businesses, helping those businesses to become more competitive, develop new products and services into the market such that they would be able to to secure contracts, both locally and, and uh, in, the, in the global market. So um, essentially my job is to develop and deliver um, supply chain support programmes. And we do that into two key mechanisms. We do um, grant funding, for for projects and um, helping to bring new new technologies into the market and we also provide access to structured business support programs as well for advisory support and um, expertise from consultants. So really it's about building the local infrastructure around the demands of developers like Allstead for example? 
Absolutely. It's about helping the supply chain to be the best that it can be such that these companies have a really good chance of winning work um, from developers and operators you know, like Orsted, helping to increase UK jobs, helping to drive innovation, helping to increase exports and help companies to become more, more successful. So it's sort of part of that, that kind of perfect storm, that ecosystem of you know, the developers looking to build projects in the UK, but helping the supply chain to um, to seize that opportunity. And it does sound like an amazing opportunity. I mean, Emma, can you can you talk to what it's like being a developer in this kind of market? Because obviously there's a really interesting push being made by, by government and by policy to build up these supply chains. But it's also that there's a, a lot of investment that Orsted obviously puts back into local communities. So how, how are you seeing the development of local supply chains and local infrastructure building out? So, I mean, Orsted's been operate, well, building and operating projects in the UK for, for longer than anywhere um, actually in the, in the world. So we've had quite a, a long track record or as long as it can be and there's still quite a young industry um, in the UK. And I think what kind of observed over that time is a very small and kind of finding its feet kind of industry um, to now, you know, becoming a much more, let's just say, you know, industrialized, more established industry where you've kind of seen this journey of of a number of things kind of coming together and still with a, with a path to grow and, and develop further as we kind of see the new opportunity that, that comes over the horizon with, with the latest kind of projects. I mean, our government has kind of, has a target of uh, 50 gigawatts by 2030, which is, you know, a huge, huge increase on, on what we have um, today in the water. Um, it's, it's ambitious, um, but it also creates the, the conditions for, 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 for large amounts of opportunity for supply chain, but but for all everything else that supports these projects. And I guess when I see how we've developed and grown um, in the UK, and I look at really, I mean, I've worked for Ersted for coming up for six years. And when I joined Ersted, I think we very much had a kind of an East Coast presence with um, some fairly smaller, modest scaled wind farms and then we had a west we have a west coast presence around around the Irish sea there off Barrow and Birkenhead there um with a number of wind farms there but I really have seen this kind of step change in growth over the last I would say the last 18 months or two years or so where we've really sort of not grown not just grown in our geographical footprint um, but also the technology um, diversification as well. Um, for instance, things like floating wind have become very much a, um, in our in our in our focus in the in in that time. What I kind of see on the ground, therefore, is a very sort of evolving landscape of companies that are, you know, in the early days, you know, hungry to understand what what this new this new opportunity looked like, where they could play their part. Um, how how they could get involved and and you know being part of those sort of earlier days of you know going to the conferences the networking and really trying to pick apart where where these companies could fit um to now a much more i guess um maturing supply chain but with still as I've just described a lot of opportunity um you know over the horizon not just in volume terms of how much more offshore winds you know coming um, but also with the kind of um, the capabilities and the capacity that's required to actually deliver out those kind of very ambitious 
um, uh, targets of the future. So I think it's been a very exciting journey up to now, um, but I can see that, you know, there's so much more to come. And I think, um, you know, with with uh, programs like Claire's just described, you know, the support that's around to also help those companies to be able to sort of enter that supply chain, I think is really exciting um, as well um, to have those mechanisms to help along the way to sort of build this this UK supply chain, a competitive supply chain, um, I think is really important. I guess just finally to say, I mean, we, we um, often kind of take a good view of, of, of the the progress that we've made with regards to our Orsted supply chain, you know, and we, we really do have, you know, I think it's over 200 UK companies that are, you know, contributing to our, to our various projects, not just in, not just in kind of constructing them and, and the components, but all the way through like the development phases of these projects um, and right through the sort of longer term operation and maintenance of our offshore wind farms. I mean, once that, turbine goes in it will be kind of operating for sort of 25 30 years or so so there's long-term sustainable opportunities for the supply chain um but also the people who work within that supply chain as well and local employment can i touch on something that emma mentioned there um emma mentioned the targets of um the 50 gigawatt by by 2030 and then an interesting sort of reflection and observation for me is that when I kind of started out with with the offshore wind growth partnership when that was established that was based on commitments of 30 gigawatts by by 2030 which shows the pace of change in the last three to four years that we've almost doubled the the capacity that we're, we're looking at now in the, in the same time frame and you know what that means is um, it, it, it's incredibly encouraging and it's very exciting but it's a lot um, for for the UK supply chain to um, you know, the, the, those are those are very ambitious targets, and how are we going to get there? What does the technology requirements look like to get to 50 gigawatts um, in the next few years? I think you know, next generation turbines and uh, floating wind. Emma mentioned of the, the floating wind opportunity. I think that's going to play a really big part. So it's a really exciting time to be part of the part of this industry um, with such ambitious targets. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I remember having a conversation with someone who was talking about you know, onshore wind turbines a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I'm afraid, who was talking about the fact there'd been this acceptance that wind turbines would only ever get to a certain size and they would never get any bigger. And then suddenly, oh, they're 50% bigger. And then they're 100% bigger. And then they're 200% bigger. And there's been this huge increase in efficiency and size and generation. What is happening with innovation? What is happening with floating wind? And in a sense, one of the things that really interests me is given there's been this huge growth in capacity in the UK, both in targets and in building out that capacity, what what are the opportunities for the UK to become that global leader in wind technology that, you know, has often been talked about? Um, so I think there's a lot a lot to unpack there. I think um, you know, I think I think I think you're you're absolutely Absolutely right. I think the industry has 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 come a long way. I remember when I first started, um, my very first sort of reference project that I was looking at um, was in was in Teesside, um, and those were two point three megawatt turbines um, that essentially onshore turbines that had been put offshore, and that was the biggest. I remember going out to that wind farm thinking that was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. That was ten years ago, um, and you know now we're talking about. 
15 megawatt, 20 megawatt turbines. It's just the scale of that I can't even comprehend. It's sort of mind-blowing. And the size of the blades, you know, how... I, I even I don't know how to answer the question probably at how how do we innovate I think I think we have to appreciate that that, that you know the the industry is growing it's growing very very quickly we have very ambitious targets I think we need to be investing in as a country I think we need to be investing in the necessary infrastructure to help anchor some of that manufacturing of some of these key components in the UK where, where possible. And then, you know, I'm very fortunate to work for an organisation like the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult that really fosters that innovation and helps UK businesses to, to test, demonstrate, validate technologies. So I think we need to be testing and innovating and uh, help unlocking that growth. And the floating side uh, for me is a really interesting one as well, because, you know, traditionally we think about fixed fixed foundations um, in, in the seabed but actually the UK has a long history of, of, of oil and gas expertise and, and subsea technology and there's a lot of learnings and, and engineering expertise that can be taken from uh, fr from from those well understood and well established industries so um, what we're starting to well, my, my personal observation is companies that we're starting to work with a lot more companies that are looking to transition into that into that space that have technologies that have product services and and um, and capability that can be transferred from um, from oil and gas or, or or other sectors specifically for things like floating technology moorings and anchorings and and subsea platforms. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity to innovate, but it comes with a lot of challenges in how UK becomes like you said the, the kind of the leader at the forefront of that industry. I'd be really interested to hear Emma's Emma's thoughts on what's. Needed needed uh, from a developer perspective what's needed Emma <laughs> what is needed I mean I think yeah so I mean Orsted have uh, you know up to now all of our uh, projects have been uh, fixed bottom wind farms fixed bottom foundation turbines and obviously we I guess to be able to access broader reaches of the seabed um, requires the ability to be able to float the turbines um, and that's what we see with our you know, new opportunity in Scotland and, and other new opportunities coming around the UK waters. What I see, so I see floating as a potential next opportunity area, I guess, for the UK supply chain, just as Claire mentioned previously. I guess as well, it, it's it's interesting to see the different types of technology or shall I say different types of floating foundation. There are many at the moment to look at. Um, actually, I used to work in the kind of um, wave and tidal power sector before I sort of was more involved in, in offshore wind. And it, it feels a little bit to me kind of a similar thing where you've got a number of different technologies and they all kind of have their, their merits and some of them have their challenges. And it's like, how will that play out um, to what will be the, 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 the technology, I guess, of choice in the, in the longer term? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not an engineer. But and also I guess the the then the how does that therefore manifest itself with regards to what you need for that? You know, for instance, like the kind of the manufacturing facilities or or the skills you need or the infrastructure, the ports, the integration areas, the the vessels that you know, there's so many different questions there. And I find it, you know, it's quite an exciting point in it in in that in that technology's journey, I guess. And I guess to meet these ambitious targets, you know, a lot of these questions and has to have to be answered fairly quickly um, because we need to, we need to be able to roll this out um, 
you know fairly fairly quickly. I think um, for us it's quite interesting. We we're just working in in partnership with some others on a project called Salamander, which is a smaller scale project um, of Peterhead in Scotland. Um, it's recently kind of been awarded, and that's a hundred megawatt project, which is you know in today's scale of wind farms, a hundred megawatts is quite small. <laughs> when we when we you know been building you know, over gigawatt scale uh, fixed bottom projects. But the idea with that project is something that we can we can really bring forward um, the technology, we can understand how to, to, to develop these wind farms on a smaller scale. And then like, you know, that's a sort of stepping stone into the larger, larger scale floating project. So for instance, we have also um, in, our, in our future pipeline, a project called Stroma, um, which is a sort of gigawatt scale wind farm. So seeing it will be very interesting i think in the very you know near future the next few years or more um how how this um evolution of floating technology will happen and how we'll get to a stage of 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 actually kind of more sort of mass deployment of of floating technology but as i say the interesting bit for me um not being an engineer although appreciating engineering how that really translates into what what's needed to support that and as I say, that's the physicality of it with things like port infrastructure and vessels and, and all that kind of thing. But it's also the people and, and what skills are we going to require, um, what volumes of skills, where, um, how will those people become you know, uh, skilled, you know, where will they train, where will they come from? I think that is interesting to me because those are the people who generally live in the communities and the places that um, will, you know, we get that sort of socioeconomic benefit, um, which it, I've, I find very fascinating and interesting to see places develop and grow on the back of this sort of um, opportunity um, before them. I mean, I think that's a really interesting point, perhaps for us to take a quick break. And when we come back to actually have a look at almost perhaps the feedback loop, taking a look at the socioeconomic impact of projects like this and how you go about building enabling environments. Orsted is one of the world's largest renewable energy companies. With more than 30 years of experience, they are the global leader in offshore wind. With 6.2 gigawatts already installed across the UK, but they're just getting started and hope to invest a further 12 billion pounds in Scotland alone in the next decade. They are taking tangible action to create a world which runs entirely on green energy. Leveraging their capabilities and insights to help countries and companies in their green transformations as they accelerate the fight against climate change together. Follow the journey at orsted.co.uk Welcome back. Um, as we left off, we were just beginning to talk about the wider socioeconomic impact of these large-scale developments. And Emma, perhaps, you know, you can talk us through Ersted's experience of what it's like to develop these projects and invest around. And, you know, you mentioned the challenges around the skills that are needed and where they're needed and moving beyond the immediacy of the technology into that sort of wider picture. Can you talk us through some of the things that you've experienced? Absolutely. So, Actually, today I'm I'm sitting in our East Coast hub facility in in Grimsby, um, 
And I think that's maybe quite a good example to to explain to you some of the the impacts that we've seen in in, in this location in the last ten years. So we really did start in Grimsby ten years ago. Many of you might know that Grimsby is a kind of is had a history, a very strong and very proud history of um, of, of fishing. But sadly, that that industry declined very much in the 1970s. And around the port in Grimsby, it had been quite quiet, let's say, for for a long time. Um, with bringing with that, there was um, you know not a lot of investment in 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 the place. So it wasn't surprising, really, that the port having not had suffered from a lack of investment and, you know, people in the town and the, the sort of um, employment opportunities and things had, had declined very rapidly that, you know, when offshore wind came, came to, came to Grimsby and came to the Humber region, um, you know, it, it was met with kind of a, a level of kind of not sure about it, but, <laughs> but actually this could be a very exciting, um, exciting thing. And, you know, we're now 10 years into the journey, Ersted's journey in Grimsby, but there's also other um, offshore wind developers that are resident on the port at Grimsby here. And we've gone from, in 10 years, we had we started up with our westernmost rough wind farm. It's a fairly small wind farm that's quite close to shore. And we started off with a built, well, actually it was with a couple of porter cabins, sort of 20 people that were working for that wind farm at the time um, on the port of Grimsby. And kind of now as I, I kind of sit here, I... In our, you know, it's a multi-million pound facility. Uh, it takes care of six wind farms, including Hornsey One and Hornsey Two. Hornsey Two we opened last year, and it's, you know, enough power for well over a million homes. Um, with Hornsey One, it's about I don't know two and a half million homes we can power from those wind farms, as well as the other smaller wind farms. Um, we've got over 600 people that work from this facility and the vast majority of those come from within a one hour drive of the facility. Um, so the value that this kind of, you know, the wind turbines offshore and the facilities onshore, the value that creates in this community is being immense. And you can kind of see that ripple effect now with, yeah, the local companies that you see kind of coming to our site and making deliveries. Um, you can see that in, yeah, the the sort of partnerships and involvement we have with local education and training providers that provide the skills. You can see that in how we, you know, we get ourselves out there and we in, interact and engage with young people in careers fairs and student projects and all kinds of things to open up their eyes to the the, the opportunity that's that's on their doorstep. Um, you know, and as I described before, in in investing, you know, quite quite sizable sums into new infrastructure, new buildings. Um, you can see they've just seen, actually, while we we're on this podcast recording, one of our large vessels um, going out offshore to service Hornsey too. Um, you know, you can feel the kind of, the upbeatness and the kind of pride growing for this new industry in the town um, around offshore wind. And then, um, I mean, Grimsby's one town and we, we really do look at the sort of Humber region as a whole and our engagement and involvement with the sort of broader region with around those things around skills and supply chain and innovation and environment and infrastructure. Um, we really look at it very much as a kind of cluster now, a kind of Humber offshore wind cluster, which Ersted are really um, pleased to lead a kind of cluster or a kind of convening um, many different partners around the Humber. And when we look across that kind of broader cluster, you can kind of see, for instance, Siemens 
Siemens across the river that kind of manufacture wind turbine blades and load out um, wind turbines from here. You kind of see the sort of the, the broader infrastructure that supports this industry. You see many more skills in, in, in the supply chain um, from local people. And I, I think it's just a very, very exciting thing to see. I feel quite proud that I've been part of this story in the Humber for, for the last decade or so. And I guess it fills me with great excitement now when I look at the kind of new areas that we're we're sort of stretching into as we you know new projects come come on board that we've we've learned quite a lot in those sort of 10 years and over on the west coast it's been a bit longer actually it's been about 17 years in how we sort of embed ourselves in those places and how we actually manage to sort of stimulate and grow those sort of local opportunities that it gives me quite a lot of excitement to think that we can now go into new places and we can take those learnings and and really start you know getting to work in kind of that that those kind of broader economic benefits I think one of the things that I'm most interested in is really you know getting involved and and talking to you know local stakeholders and really understanding the context of those places where they're you know whether they would like to grow and they would like to 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 develop, but I'd also quite interested in their challenges in their, their local economies and how, you know, bringing a new industry and kind of positioning it in the right way and designing the right initiatives can actually help bring the whole place on um, so that, the you know, the, to maximise those economic benefits um, within the place. I mean, there's a really lovely continuity there with what you're talking about because it's this combination of learning by doing and innovation and understanding innovation is more than just one particular technology. Because you mentioned clusters and they, they've definitely been shown to be, you know, something that helps entirely non-directly connected industries grow and build because there's so much going on that people are attracted to it, investment is attracted to it, the, the people are attracted to it. And Claire, I, you know, we were talking earlier about how innovation and, and what the catapult is looking about is about so much more than just one technology. Can you talk me through, you know, what the catapult is doing around enabling technologies and the different things that we need to look at? Yeah, sure. And I think um, actually what Emma was saying there about the the Humber region in Grimsby is actually a really nice a nice segue because um, you know, and 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 I don't know if it was sort of picked up there, but. When I think about Humber region, I think about Grimsby, I think about operations and maintenance. Um, it's it's become a bit of a hub, a sort of specialist area of expertise within that region. Um, and, you know, large and thanks, I think, to Orsted and because, you know, Emma mentioned about the SOV going off to, to, to service um, the Hornsey Wind Farm. There's a lot of... Um, operations and maintenance companies and expertise in, in that region. Um, I think that's a really exciting opportunity for innovation within the UK. We've got a lot of um, lot of exciting UK businesses working in the O&M space. Um, and, you know, the more the sector grows, the more one firms that we're building, that's going to increase the need for, for O&M. You know, it's a currently fairly expensive, fairly hazardous um, environment and probably accounts for about a quarter I would say a quarter of the total lifetime cost of an offshore wind farm. So as the sector is growing and expanding, I think there's a real strong push uh, to reduce the cost by using things like robotics and autonomous systems to support inspection and maintenance and repair and, and, and servicing. Um, you know, and I think, as I say, that's a really 
great opportunity to be using innovative products and services to, to, to service offshore wind farms. And in, in the, the that region of Grimsby, uh, Catapult, um, Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, are involved in a really exciting project um, that is going to be launching potentially this year, which is going to be the biggest living lab in the world, um, created off the coast of Grimsby, through the development of a 5G testbed. So that will include the Grimsby port and linen and our dowsing wind farm. And essentially it will allow technology providers and developers to test and demonstrate their equipment in um, like really real world conditions with access to sort of high speed reliable uh, communications using that sort of 5G infrastructure. So that kind of shows, um, you know, an opportunity for innovation and, and within the cluster and helping local businesses, helping entrepreneurs and helping innovative businesses to, to develop and uh, test and demonstrate their, their solutions in the sector. And, you know, I mentioned the uh, use of robotics and uh, autonomous systems. You know, I think as, as we, this is already forming quite a really key part of um, offshore wind operations. Um, the Catapult will be opening a brand new digital autonomous and robotics engineering centre or DARE Centre, um, which will really help to increase our capacity for robotics testing um, and we're offering things like command and control rooms and live environmental monitoring systems um, that will uh, really sort of harness the opportunity for robo remote robotics and artificial intelligence systems for, for offshore wind. So for me, that's a really exciting... No, oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think anything that can be done to reduce the need to go offshore um, and you know help to be more efficient help to lower costs and 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 improve um, health and safety I think um, is, is, is a really good thing and robotics is, is such a yeah exciting way to do it and the UK is sort of I would say kind of at the forefront of, of that there's a lot of learnings there a lot of opportunity to export um that expertise to to global markets as well so picking up on that as well uh, Claire I mean, we can really see that at Grimsby because we have numerous visitors from across the world that come to Grimsby to see this hub. Um, I find it still fascinating that, you know, a party will get on a plane in Japan um, to come to Grimsby <laughs> to actually see this stuff in action. And, and yeah, we're blessed for that. I think we've we've really built up that, that track record here. I think it's now becoming quite not just known nationally in the UK, but I think it, it's also internationally that not only has the UK kind of probably had one of the longest histories with offshore wind, um, but now can actually be a, you know, exemplar for new markets across the globe um, who are setting up. And of course, for our indigenous companies, that's an opportunity as well for export. You know, when those companies come from overseas to, to look and see, you know, there's an opportunity there to actually show them as well. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there for, yeah, in the in the UK export context as well. So we've been talking about enabling technology and enabling environments. It's so much more than just uh, the different elements of the supply chain. I think there's a really important aspect to it, which is, you know, how you go about finding the money. And Claire, can, can you talk us through what you guys are doing there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd, I'd mentioned earlier that um, OWGP have a couple of different support programmes to help businesses commercialise and bring their new products and services into the offshore wind market. Um, so we do grant funding and we do business transformation support and we are actually launching our next round of funding at the end of May so that will be our development grant competition which is to help companies deliver a step change in growth within the offshore wind sector so whether they're a company that's already established in the supply chain um, or if it's a company that's new to the offshore wind sector but looking to transfer product or service or expertise into into the sector um, they would be eligible to apply so as long as UK registered business with ambition for growth in offshore wind and, and something that um, can be brought to market then we would be interested to hear from them so that would be a competition pot of two million pounds and grants of up to five hundred thousand pounds available and I'll also say that to complement that we do always we are constantly running our wind export support toolkit which is the West programme. So that's open on an ongoing basis and that can provide access to expert advisory support, very needs-focused support to businesses that have particular barriers to growth or barriers to entry into the market. So by submitting an expression of interest form onto the website, we can then assess that application and then match make you up with our expert consultancy with very domain specific knowledge in offshore wind that can help address those barriers to, to growth. So we have two types of support on offer. Funding will be launched in May and the West programme is open on an ongoing basis for anybody that's interested. And you can find out more information on our website, which is owgp.org.uk. And what's exciting about this, certainly from the perspective of Gigawaters, which was sort of kicked off because because we were talking about Scotland and the huge, you know, the huge amount of offshore wind that was actually targeted for development. We're talking here about the fact that something like the Grimsby Cluster has a huge national impact, that it has a huge international impact. What's exciting to me is this idea of how it can also have regional knowledge that then travels to different parts of the country. I'm really interested in sort of the work that Ulster is doing in, in, in Scotland and with Scotwind. How is the local infrastructure adapting? What are you seeing and what are you taking with you? And, you know, how, rap how much faster could that kind of change happen regionally in Scotland than it did perhaps in Grimsby? Uh, I'm just going to jump in there quickly just to because I don't know if Emma has already said, but Emma actually leads... Um, or used to lead the um, the the cluster kind of work stream that I, mean, I mentioned the offshore wind sector deal earlier, which is how the the offshore wind growth partnership was born. Um, but also there was a, a sort of separate working group, a work stream focused on the development of clusters, and I think Emma has done like a fantastic job at developing um, this kind of the the yeah these offshore wind clusters, bringing it together, helping with that. Um, a local knowledge because obviously the, the the Grimsby cluster as we've talked about or the Humber cluster in that area has been um it's quite well established there's a lot of uh, expertise already and I think taking some of that that knowledge and expertise and applying it to different locations in the UK where there is going to be either 
currently is or there will be a lot of offshore wind opportunity um it, it's been really important sorry i'll be quiet but uh, i thought it was it was important to the, to recognize um, emma's involvement in um bringing these clusters together in the collaborative um effort that that's taken i think that's true and i think what we see so yeah i chair the uk clusters um group i say i, I describe it as so that's representatives from all of the clusters um, around the UK. Many of them are at different stages of development, but they've all got kind of lessons to learn and, and things to share. I think one of the interesting things as well that I've kind of seen is that each cluster tends to have kind of a different composition of sort of expertise and, and experience. So some might specialise in some part of the of the supply chain, others might specialise in another part of innovation, whatever it might be. And I think the interesting thing is the people in those places, they understand what their cluster strengths are. Um, and by sort of bringing us all together in those various different places, we can, you know, get the most comprehensive kind of support for the growth of this industry. So, yeah, our Scottish clusters are a part of our UK clusters group as much as, for instance, a very new cluster like the Celtic Sea cluster has joined the group. And I think there's a real interesting exchange of information. I think we're constantly looking for ways in which we can actually collaborate around particular aspects. So, for instance, you know, there's been a recent report that describes that this industry is going to need 100,000 people by 2030. Um, today, there's about 30,000 people that work in this industry. So that's a lot of people um, in a very short space of time. And that's going to be a challenge to everywhere, you know. So it makes sense for us to try and get our heads together, try and work together about, you know, for instance, how can we, you know, stimulate and increase the kind of, you know, the the interest in careers in this in this industry. And that's something we can we can debate and we can figure out ways together, but we can also roll it out specifically in the places where the people are who might work in this industry um, and benefit from this industry. So yeah, very interesting. And I think there's a lot we can draw from past experience but then I think there's a lot to learn from from new places and new contexts and new experience as well. What's very exciting about this is that this, this conversation is just making me think about the ambition that goes along with the energy transition is all about the power of collaboration because without that we're not going to achieve the ambitions that we have and that these, this collaboration is already happening. You know, it's out there on the ground and there's a scope of opportunity the like of which, you know, we may not have seen in generations which I think is a very positive and nice point to end this conversation on um so thank you very much for joining us for this third episode of season two of giga waters thank you both emma and claire for joining me today it was a really great chat and i'm looking forward to our coming conversations to our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts about what's been discussed today you can find us on social media or you could drop us an email at outloud at energyvoice.com don't forget to tune in to energy voices weekly podcast episode where the Energy Voice team discuss the latest goings-on in the energy sector, ranging from oil and gas to renewables. If you're yet to do so, please do subscribe free to Energy Voice Out Loud on your podcast app of choice and listen out for more episodes of Giga Waters going live soon. I'm Felicia Jackson. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com 
sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.